Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. Welcome to the program. My name is Howie Silbiger. This is the Howie Silbiger Show Right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me. I do appreciate you being here. I am happy to be here on this beautiful Sunday night. Uh, we are uh, we are live, which means that the phone lines are open. The numbers to call in, um, well, I was going to say in North America. I'm, I'm used to doing that. But uh, the numbers to call are, is, is, is 1-877-669-1292. That's 1-877-669-1292. Nine two. That is the um, that is the number to call uh, to be part of the Howie Silberger Show. The uh, Howie Silberger Show is uh, is brought to you by uh, Howie Silberger, and uh, this is the uh, this is the show that's brought to you by Howie Silberger. And I am pleased to bring you the show, and I'm I'm happy that you have decided to join me on this Sunday night. Uh, we are. Um, we are uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic, and uh, I know during this pandemic we are all sitting at home, and um, and since we are sitting at home, it is uh, it is important to um, it is important to be able to uh, express ourselves, be able to talk about it, be able to understand what we're all going through the same thing all at the same time, and so it is um, it is very nice to be here uh, with you. Uh, but, you know, we talk about the pandemic a lot. On the last couple of shows, we've talked about the pandemic, and that's been a, a lot of pandemic talk. And I want to move on to other things because, you know, the world has not stopped because of this pandemic. The world has not stopped because COVID-19 has forced us to stay home, and things are going on in the world that we should be talking about. And so one of the things uh, going on is um, is this, this, this crazy, crazy, crazy thing. Uh, called Nakba Day. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, Nakba Day, it is the um, the Arabs in Israel who call themselves Palestinians. They they um, they have a day. Normally, May fourteenth, May fifteenth, uh, where they uh, where they lament the creation of the state of Israel, where they where they curse the Israelis for having a state. And this is what they do. And so here we are. It was Nakba Day. And our, um, our favorite Israel-hating rock star decided to sing a song to celebrate Nakba Day and to give support to the uh, Arabs who want to destroy the state of Israel. Uh, of course, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about our friend uh, Roger Waters uh, from Pink Floyd. And I just want to play you a little clip from that song because I think I, I think you should hear this. I think it's important to hear what Roger Waters has to say about uh, Nakba Day. He, here is Roger Waters. We'll walk hand in hand We'll take back the land We'll plant our olive trees From the Jordan River to the sea And from Myanmar to 
All right, so we will take back the land and we will plant our olive trees from the Jordan River to the seas. Essentially, what Roger Waters is saying is we will destroy the state of Israel and we will supplant the state of Palestine over the state of Israel. That's what he's saying. That is exactly what Roger Waters is saying in that, uh, in that song. And he is calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. And like most of the uh, Arab communities, most of the Palestinian communities, uh, the destruction of the state of Israel also means the, the annihilation of the Jewish people. Jewish people living in Israel. In fact, uh, the uh, Hamas even called for the annihilation of Jews living outside of Israel. So here we have a situation where, where, where major rock star, Roger Waters, and he's been doing this for years, is calling for the destruction of the state of Israel. Publicly, he, he released a video on YouTube calling for the destruction of the state of Israel and calling for the annihilation of the Jewish people. And yet I still have Jews. I still have people telling me that I'm overreacting when I say that Roger Waters should be ignored well, ignored to a certain extent. We can't really ignore the fact that he's calling for our destruction. He should be answered. But he should not be celebrated, and we should not be, uh, we should be protesting when, he is, uh, when he's hired to come and to, and to perform in any venue in an industrialized democratic society. Because democratic society should not be tolerating the call for the destruction of a democratic society, of a, of a country in the world. And the annihilation of its people. Now, Roger Waters will say, I'm not calling for the annihilation of the Jewish people or the annihilation of the people of Israel. I'm just calling for the, you know, the destruction of the state of Israel, the state of the entity of Israel. Uh, I believe in boycott, divestment, sanctions, which, by the way, the uh, leadership of boycott, divestment, sanctions has made it clear that their goal, and it's always been their goal, is to, um, is to destroy the state of Israel. That's, that's been their goal. So I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how Roger Waters uh, could get away from that. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how he could get around that. It, it, it's, it's sad. It really is sad. And uh, I invite you to call in. Do you, do you agree with me? Do you agree with me that, uh, that we should boycott guys like Roger Waters? That we should, uh, we should stand up and support the state of Israel? I mean, I, I really believe we should, but do but you agree that we should be doing this? This is, this is, uh, it is, it is infuriating that a man like Roger Waters, who, who plays on his, he plays on his, um, on his fame, he plays on the fact that he's a famous guy, and he is uh, promoting this kind of, uh, this kind of, of, of talk. He's promoting this kind of destruction. He wants to destroy the state of Israel. I find it infuriating. Personally, I find it infuriating. Personally, I find it really sickening, like deep to my stomach, that this guy is fed it so many times and so often, and that uh, that that people that people you know respect him. It, it seems to me that we're just gluttons for punishment. It seems to me that we are just trying, we are attempting to be self-destructive when we support people like Roger Waters. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two to get in on the conversation. If you want to, uh, if you want to talk to me, that's the number to call. 
We are live, one 669 1292 I am I am I am I am infuriated when I when I ha when I see high profile anti Israel people. Uh, people who, who who perpetrate the false claim that Israel oppresses the so called Palestinian people. That the, that this oppression somehow comes from Israel. And that the Israelis that are killed on a regular basis by 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 these people who claim to be oppressed, and the Israelis that are not allowed to go to different parts of the Middle East, and Jews who aren't allowed traveling to Saudi Arabia, a lot of allowed traveling to Syria, a lot of allowed traveling to Iraq, Iran, and Israel's the apartheid state. It's 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 kind of infuriating. It's it's not even kind of infuriating. It's extremely infuriating that this is the case. That here we are in a, in a situation where you have a democratic state. They are being attacked from within, and they have been attacked from within for the last 60 years. And yet they are still somehow portrayed as the villain. I'm, I'm not sure how that happens. I'm not sure why that happens, and I'm not sure that that should happen in, in a regular, on a regular basis. I, I'm, not, I'm, not so, I'm not so happy about that. But that's world politics, and that's been like that for, for a long time. I, I've been covering the anti-Israel bias in the media for multiple decades already. I, I remember years ago, I was, um, I was a pup reporter, and uh, one of my jobs, I took over from uh, Hillel Neuer. Hillel Neuer is, of course, the executive director of UN Watch, and uh, before he was that, he was a journalist in Montreal, and I took over a column that he was writing called Gazette Watch. Yeah, Hillel had this thing about watching things. And so uh, I took over. He was writing for the Suburban at the time, and, uh, and, and he left the column, and I took over the column from Hillel Neuer. And the, um, and the column that I, uh, that I was writing called, uh, called um, Gazette Watch basically looked at the Gazette and the articles that the Gazette took from other sources, and how the Gazette edited those articles to make it the anti-Israel. And I published week after week. We published examples. Uh, this article appeared in the New York Times. This is what the New York Times said, and this is how the Gazette said it, and this is how the Gazette made it look more anti-Israel than the New York Times. Not that the New York Times was a big Israel lover at the time, or even now, but they did take, the Gazette did take articles from, the, uh, from, from different sources, and altered the articles to make them even more anti-Israel than they originally were. And so here we are, and I'm writing this article, uh, I'm writing this column, and then there is a, um, there's a conference. And at the conference, Senator Joan Frazier, she's not currently a senator, at the time she was publisher of the Gazette, she appeared at the conference. And so I, um, I decided to go. I said, why not? Let's go and let's, uh, let's have a little bit of fun. I write a Gazette. I write a column called Gazette Watch. She's the publisher of the Gazette. Let's go and push her a little bit about this anti-Israel bias. So I got up in, at this conference, and she she gave her a little speech, and then I got up to uh, ask a question. And the question I asked Joan Frazier was simple. I said, "Listen, I said I've been writing this column Gazette Watch for the Suburban for the last year and a half," and she says, "I am very familiar with that column." I said, "Wonderful." So you know who I am. She says, yes, I know who you are. I said, beautiful. She says to me, I say to her, I'm sorry, excuse me. I said to her, I say, all right, you know who I am. I write this column called Gazette Watch. 
and I want you to answer me. I want you. I want an honest answer. I, I know you're a journalist, you're a publisher of a newspaper, and honesty might not be your uh, your main language, but I would like an honest answer. I had a lot of chutzpah back there as much as I have today. And uh, she looked at me, and she had this look, this stern look in her face. She was looking at me as if I was the, the enemy, and, I, and essentially for her, I was the enemy. And she looked at me, and she said to me, there is no evidence at all that the Gazette is anti-Israel. And I said, I see. I said, but I've been publishing an article for, and before me, hello, Neuer was publishing the article before me, uh, this, this column. And I, it's been going on for, for a while already. Um, and we keep pointing out how anti-Israel the Gazette is. So how could you say it's not anti-Israel when we prove time and time and time again that the Gazette is anti-Israel? She says, give me an example. So I said, sure, here's an example. I said, in this issue of the Gazette, and I, I don't remember what the date was now, but I remember the story. I said, the story was that a, um, a, 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 a Arab walked into a Jewish schoolyard and stabbed a bunch of little kids. And so the New York Times article, under this byline, whoever wrote the New York Times article, said that a knife-wielding Arab walked into a schoolyard and stabbed four kids, and the Israeli army came and, and, and caught him and neutralized him. The Gazette article, under the same byline, same headline, same exact setup, the Gazette article said Israeli troops rolled into a town and killed four people after a knife-wielding Arab went. So, when you put the Israelis killing the Arabs before the Arabs killing the Israelis, you are essentially being anti-Israel. She stopped and she looked at me and she said, All right. She says, Maybe it was an editing error. I said, No, somebody rewrote the, uh, the, the, the top of the story. There's, there's no editing error here. Somebody rewrote the story. You can't claim an editing error when somebody rewrites the story. She Stopped and she said to me, well, okay, you have one example. Do you have another example? And I said, I have plenty of examples. I could show you a year and a half worth of examples. And plus, if I really looked, I could find even more. And she said to me, all right, fine. She said, compile all your examples and bring them to my office at the Gazette. And if I find that you are correct and the Gazette has had a perceived bias against Israel, I will issue an apology, a public apology. I said, whoa, that's amazing. Thank you, Miss Frazier, and I will get back to you. And I left. Well, I worked hard and I compiled, I compiled a, a bunch of, um, of examples of articles that the Gazette altered from other news sources. And I put them all into a binder. And I brought my binder down to the Gazette office. And I got to the secretary and I said, I'm here to see the publisher, Miss Frazier. She's expecting me. Secretary called Joan Frazier and said, uh, Miss Frazier, there is a man here to see you. And he says he's expecting you. She told him who I was. And Joan Frazier said, sure, come on in. And I walked into Joan Frazier's office at the Gazette. She was the publisher of the Gazette. I walked into her office at the Gazette. And I said, you challenged me. I'm probably the wrong guy you want to challenge when it comes to stuff like this because uh, I will always, I will always follow through on this this kind of challenge. You challenged me, and I'm here with the evidence. Here is the evidence, and I plop my binder down on her desk. 
Miss Frazier looked at me and said, I will review it and I will make a determination and I will get back to you. And then she escorted me out of her office. I'm still waiting. She's left the Gazette. She was gone from the Gazette for maybe 25 years now. She's been a senator for maybe 10 years now. I'm still waiting for her public apology. I'm still waiting for her to get back to me to say I was right or I was wrong. But that, that's what happens. That, that's what happens with, with, with newspapers that are biased. So this, this all brings me to the Canadian Jewish News that shut down a couple of weeks ago. The uh, Canadian Jewish News has been around in the Jewish community for in Montreal, in the Canadian Jewish community for, uh, for 80 odd years. And then they announced, uh, they announced in 2014 that they were shutting down. At the time we set up at True Talk Radio, we set up the Montreal Jewish News to replace the Canadian Jewish News. Uh, but then the Canadian Jewish News decided they were going to reopen, so we, we put that, uh, that project on the back burner. So here we are. The Canadian Jewish News shut down. And we are... Um, and, uh, and I'm not crying. I'm not shedding a tear about the Canadian Jewish News shutting down. I know, I know a lot of people in the community, a lot of people in the Jewish community across the country are crying, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about the Canadian Jewish News? I'm not shedding a tear. That newspaper was not a good newspaper. It wasn't a good newspaper before they rejigged it after the original shutdown. It wasn't a good newspaper after they rejigged it after the shutdown. The Canadian Jewish News was never a good newspaper. Why do I say that? I will tell you why I, why I feel that the Canadian Jewish News was not a good newspaper. And I say good riddance to the Canadian Jewish News. I say goodbye, good riddance. See ya. See ya nera. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And I say this, and I say this because uh, I, I've, I've had some run-ins with the Canadian Jewish News. Of course, of course, that's why I say this. I, I've had some run-ins with the Canadian Jewish News. So the, um, the first run-in I had with the Canadian Jewish News, I was 19 years old. I had started an organization called Save All Jews Everywhere. Now, for those of you who live in Montreal, you might remember this organization. We, uh, we, were, the, um, we, we were pretty vocal at the time, and we were condemned by the mainstream Jewish organizations uh, for forever. As long as the organization existed, we were condemned by mainstream Jewish organizations because they didn't like the fact that we were young Jews trying to make a difference and speaking up uh, for the community, and um, they felt that they were the ones who had to speak for the community, so they condemned us on a regular basis. All right, fine. So cond- condemnations and people condemning me, I'm, I'm kind of used to it, and I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. So here we have uh, the Canadian Jewish News, and uh, they, they call me up one day. One of the reporters there calls me up. I'm not going to name which reporter, but one of the reporters at the Canadian Jewish News calls me up and says, Hey, Howie. Uh, they say, he says, I am... Um, I want to do a profile on you. I think it's good that young Jews are, are active in the community, and I'd like to do a profile on a young Jew active in the community. And I said, sure. And so um, let, me just, let me just preface this with any time a profile has ever been done of me in a newspaper, it's never been, it's never been, um, never been satisfactory. It's never been, it's never been a good profile. So, so Canadian Jewish News didn't disappoint me at all. When I spent an hour and a half on the phone with the reporter and then the newspaper ran an article calling me a radical and using uh, snippets of what I said to prove the point that I'm a radical. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I called the Canadian News. I said, hey, that's wrong. And uh, the reporter laughed at me, hung up and 
Thank you very much. All right, fine. So, do I have a personal vendetta against Canadian News? No, not at all. I, I just didn't think they were a good newspaper anyway. Uh, so, we moved on. I became the public relations director for Mizrahi Canada. Now, Mizrahi Canada was a... Um, was an organization. Was the, uh, it was is the oldest organization in Canada. It was founded in Montreal, and uh, it is the oldest Jewish organization in Canada. It predates everything except for the Spanish and Portuguese synagogue. And um, I was the public relations director for Mizrahi for a few years, and they were doing some big event. And I went to the Canadian Jewish News and I said, "Hey, listen, I would like you to cover this event." And they said, "No," and they refused to cover the event. And so when I went to the editor in Toronto, he called the reporter. The reporter called me crying that uh, I misunderstood what she had said. Okay, fine. We move on. The, the Canadian Jewish News was a mouthpiece for Federation for years. They were essentially Federation-owned. And being so, they took a very progressive liberal stand on, on all issues concerning Judaism. Now, I've never pertained to try to be everything for everybody on this show. There are people who listen to this show who I'm sure do not like a word I'm saying on the show. There are people who listen to the show who I'm sure uh, would wish that I would just disappear, that I would turn off the microphone and never turn it on again. And there are people who listen to the show who love every word I say. Because you can't be everything for everyone. And uh, you know, if you're not honest about what you believe in, if you're not honest on who you are and the kind of and the kind of person you are, you can never put on a good show. Nobody would ever want to listen to this. So I, I get on here. I'm as honest as honest could be. You're not going to get a more honest person when it comes to what I believe in. You're not going to get a more honest person when it comes to how I believe in stuff. The Canadian Jewish News was a little two-faced. They, they, they believed that they, they were lackeys for federation, and they didn't like to rock the boat. So they never did. So they... It was an issue for me that they uh, didn't want to rock the boat. And um, they published every condemnation against me that was ever that was ever leveled against me uh, right up till uh, right up until uh, I left Radio Shalom. So every condemnation, every critical thing that was ever said about me was published in the Canadian Jewish News right up to the time I left Radio Shalom. So I'm, I'm good with that. They had it out for me. I'm happy they're gone. And I hope they don't get revived again. And if they do get revived again, uh, because maybe the community needs a national newspaper. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they do. But maybe the community needs a national newspaper. So if this newspaper ever gets revived again, I hope and I pray that they come back in a more, in, in, in a more accepting manner where they accept uh, more of community thought and more people who are, who are active in community. So that's, that's what I have to say about the Canadian Jewish News. Goodbye, good riddance, good luck. one 669 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 Just after 8 o'clock, we'll be joined by Sheldon Eric Freed, my long-suffering producer on the show. He'll be joining us just after, uh, after 8 o'clock. And uh, I, I'm here with you. And... Um, and we're trying, I'm trying not to talk about the pandemic. I, I know we want to talk about this. I know, but how many times can we talk about this? How much left is there to say? If I want to, uh, if you really want to talk about it, I could, I could, I could tell you that I, I think, and I've said this at the beginning and I've said this in the middle and I'm still saying this, that a lot of the draconian measures that our politicians have taken uh, 
when it comes to COVID-19, have been overkill. I I think the world went into overkill with COVID-19. I think that we, as a society, uh, have been punished enough, and I think it's time to reopen society. If you look at the numbers... Uh, the the possibility of, uh, of of massive outbreaks, and when you talk about massive outbreaks, you're talking about maybe maybe a half a percent or a quarter of a percent of the population is a massive outbreak. Uh, it's ridiculous to lock up ninety nine percent of the population for one percent. It should be the other way around. Ninety nine percent should be free, and one percent uh, the vulnerable, the elderly, the vulnerable should be locked up uh, or, or 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 quarantined. So to quarantine the entire world. Uh, seems to me as a little bit of overkill. But I'm not a scientist. This is my personal opinion. Don't take my opinion for anything but my opinion. I know people like to say, oh, how he said this, so it must be true. Don't don't take my opinion for anything but my opinion, because uh, that's all it is. Uh, so so here we are. We're in we're a situation. We're in a situation now where we're, we're all locked up. Uh, the, um, the numbers worldwide don't warrant the quarantine that we're in. If you take a look at uh, countries that um, that that weren't in quarantine, uh, their numbers are no different than the national numbers anywhere else. If you take a look at states that have come out of quarantine in the United States, like Georgia, who've been out of quarantine for two, three weeks now, uh, their um, their numbers haven't uh, haven't blown up. There's there's no there's no um, there's no crazy amount of, uh, of of new cases in Georgia or new deaths. So while I care about the elderly, and I really do, and while I feel that we should be, um, well, we should be protecting them, uh, protecting them can be, can be uh, protecting them and not punishing everyone else. So um, that, that's the way I feel. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's the way I feel. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on television. Uh, masks. L- let me ask you a question about masks. Maybe a doctor out there can answer this question because it doesn't make any sense to me. Um if we're wearing masks to protect other people and other people are wearing masks to protect us, then why do we have to social distance while wearing masks? If the mask is going to stop me from transmitting my disease to somebody else, it's going to stop somebody else from transmitting the disease to me, then why do I have to stand six feet away from that person? Just a thought. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Sheldon Eric Freed will be joining me in exactly, exactly two minutes, and uh, I'm very happy that uh, Sheldon Eric Freed has taken time out of his Sunday to be here on the show. And of course, you could be in on the uh, on the conversation too. You could you could join us in chat and talk. And this week, Sheldon will be able to hear you, which is uh, which is a plus because that doesn't happen every week. So this week, Sheldon will be able to hear you, uh, and you could call in one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Now I've gotten a couple of questions about Mark David and what happened to Mark David on the show. And uh, Mark David is in quarantine and he's away from his studio, and he says he will be rejoining the show as soon as uh, as soon as he possibly can. So um, once he's able to get back to his studio, back to uh, back to his equipment, he will be uh, he'll be joining the show. But until then, until then, he's taking time off. And you know what? Mark's been on the show for 12 years. I think he deserves a little bit of time off. So um, so I'm hoping he's enjoying his time off and enjoying his time uh, sitting alone in his cramped little quarters. And uh, and I'm hoping that uh, that he joins us um, when uh, 
when when this is all over and when he could get back to his uh, studio. All right, so I'm happy to welcome. I'm happy to welcome back to the show, uh, Mr. Sheldon Eric Fried. Sheldon Eric Fried is, of course, my long-suffering producer, and uh, he's been on the show for uh, for quite a few years too. And Sheldon, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. Um, my pleasure. How are you? I am, thank God, excellent. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing okay, hanging in there. You know, same thing. Every day is a challenge in its own right. But you know what? I I said this to you last week that it seems like I'm as busy now, if not busier, than I was before this COVID-19. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, you know what? It's a good thing because if you're bored and twiddling your thumbs, then these days can be like years. Well, so I- you know what? You get yourself busy and next thing you know, the day's done and then there's a new day and so on and so forth. And there's stuff that I wanted to do before and I couldn't do before. And now I have the chance to do it. So why not? Right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I did not wish this whole thing to happen, as you did, did not wish this to happen, and it's too bad we're all in a standstill and we can't get back to our normal lives. We only could wish that we could, and uh, now, you know, it's, we have to take the time and, uh, and do things that we wouldn't have been able to do or we would put it under the, you know, under the back burner somewhere. And now we just decided, you know what, it's our time, Let, let's do the things that we couldn't do before, and that's pretty much what I'm doing. Well, I'm glad that you're uh, that you that you're getting stuff done. That's that's, yeah. that's that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, there was a big setback when it came to the schools and uh, uh, locally here, and I know this is affecting you big time. And you and I were discussing about it earlier today. And it's uh, you know, my heart goes out to all the professionals, uh, the people in the front lines. Also, uh, you know, they, they've been really going through the quite. It it was it's just been going through quite quite a time and my heart goes out to these people that are that are you know on the front lines uh but you know they're doing their jobs yeah they're doing their jobs but it's really again it's all unprecedented circumstances and yes they're doing their jobs but but the question but, is the question is Sheldon I've been asked I asked this question is it um does it have to be unprecedented circumstances I mean is this just not manufactured fear I know we've, you know we've we've talked about this before, but is this not, is this not well, manufactured fear? It's so hard to tell. I really I don't have an answer. I'm not a scientist any more than you are. I'm not a doctor. I don't know really what goes on in terms of what's going on. I mean, you see these things in the news every day, which really scares the living daylights out of uh, out of me. And you don't know what's true, what's not true. And I don't believe in conspiracy theories any more than you do. It, has the government o- overdone it? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I, I can't tell you on my crystal ball if they did or they didn't. Uh, like you said, about the masks and everything, about if, if everybody would wear the masks, well, we'd have the social distancing. The thing is that a lot of governments, I shouldn't say, maybe about half the governments did have have asked and pleaded for people to get masks, but has not been considered, not, has, it has not been mandatory it's well, not been compulsory well, wait, wait, a second, wait a second some governments some governments have asked um some governments uh, said at the beginning that masks were pointless that there was no point in wearing masks right yes of course yeah and then um, i remember and then there were then there were uh, then there were people who said that uh you know if you're wearing a mask you're protecting other people it's not going to do much for you and that's probably true too so you're you're stopping your germs from getting to other people so you're protecting people around you so be responsible wear a mask that was the latest thing right 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then they said, uh, then they said, uh, okay, but if you still, if you're wearing a mask, you still have to socially distance. But why? Why? If I'm, if my mask is catching my germs and your mask is catching your germs, then why can't I stand next to you? Right. I don't know. So, so yep. you know, you know, there, there are things that are so contradictory when it comes to the things that uh, it just, it just bothers me. It's been contradictory right from the beginning, because oh, like course. you said, they'll, they'll say one thing, then the next day or the next week, they'll say something else. And it's like, you're scratching your head. You don't know what to believe. You know, members of the public, the media doesn't know what to believe. So like everybody's running around with their tail between their legs because nobody knows what to believe anymore. But, you know, the um, but, you know, the the uh, the uh, the idea is um, that before they were saying, listen, when we when we smash the curb. When we when we smash that curb, that 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 bubble, when we burst the bubble, we flatten could go back. Curb. We could we yeah. flatten that curb. We could go back to um, we could go back to uh, you know the way we were living, right? We go back to regular life. Now they're saying, um, now they're saying, well, listen, uh, if we um, if we uh, if we don't find a cure, we can never go back to regular life. Well, which one is it? Come on, make up your mind. Is it a cure? Is it smashing the curb? What is it? Yeah, Again, it, they it's don't enough know, to they drive don't, you crazy. I know. They, I don't know what to believe anymore. Like, I really, that's a good question. I really do, I don't know what to believe anymore because w- one minute they tell you this, one minute they tell you something else. Then they tell you that there's a possibility there's a vaccine that's going to be coming out soon. Then it, you, you don't know what to believe anymore. Then there was the herd immunity. Yeah. That's been sci- scientifically debunked because a lot of people from the scientific community did not believe in that. No, there's a lot of stuff that's been debunked when it comes to yeah. COVID-19. So honestly, how I, I have no idea of, like, the only thing I've I basically been able to do was go out on the balcony, take walks, uh, social distancing myself, mask or no mask right now, because I don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and now the weather is getting nicer, so people want to get out. People want to go to the summer cottages. People want to go out to the campgrounds. People want to... People want to go out and, uh, pl- you know, uh, do picnics, uh, be out in parks and everything, and they can't do it. And it's, it, I, we feel like we're hostages. We don't know what to do. We don't know. The, the information is so misinformation that the governments don't even know what, what to tell you anymore. That's true. I, and we have these press conferences, Howie, practically every day, seven days a week. I know our provincial premier, he cut it down to now every couple yeah, but, of days. Yeah, but he now, didn't really because he's been doing it every day anyway. Now, he's doing it every day, but he didn't do it this weekend, at least not that I'm aware of. Yeah. But you know what? He's basically saying the same thing. He kept back, backpedaling. I backpedaled so much that I would fall off my bicycle if I was driving it. Hmm. Uh, so like the, the schools that were supposed to open up on the 20th, 25th of May, the elementary schools, that's not going to happen. The businesses that were going to open up, that's not going to happen. So we so we don't know what's 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 going to happen. You being a teacher, my girlfriend being a teacher, nobody knows what's going on. Um, my girlfriend was telling me just the other day. Speaking of the teachers, they're doing some online stuff that they're that uh, the the Ministry of Education wanted to uh, send an email to the teachers, finding out to make to ensure that they have high speed internet. So in the meantime, until the schools are actually the students physically go back. Will the teachers have the facilities to be able to conduct their courses and classes online? Yeah, well, that's the question, right? Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, it's impacting so many people. The parents don't know what to do because the high school students could pretty much fend for themselves. They can stay home, whatever the case is. They don't, parents don't have to worry about them so much. But the but the young young kids, the well, parents, look, school, schools, aren't, has, schools aren't supposed to be babysitting services. They're well, supposed that, to be educational that, institutions. The government so if is we're looking at babysitting services. If we're looking at schools to be babysitting services, then uh, then of course, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, well, that's that's what parents are. A lot of parents are using daycares for. Even if the parents, one of the parents, are staying home, they'll still put their child in daycare. Right. You know, it's it's one thing if both parents have to work because they need the money for put food on the table, whatever. That's a different story for the time being. But there's other times that could you just imagine how we like kids are being with the parents twenty four hours a day, at least when the kids are in schools, elementary schools, daycares, whatever. The kids are away from the parents. The parents have a bit of a break, and then the kids come home after. But now the kids are with the parents. So could you just imagine some of the parents must be driven absolutely mishiga? Well, you know, if you don't want to uh, take care of your kids, you shouldn't have kids. Well, I, that's another story. I agree with you. If you have kids, then you should be willing to take care of them. I agree with you, but <laughs> I, I, I understand what you're think. saying. Parents aren't used to having their kids around, but uh, exactly, but, they're not. But but if, if you have kids. You shouldn't be complaining. Yeah. It should that, be unconditionally as long as the kids are healthy, they're happy. And, that's it. And, yeah, and that's it. And if you're if, tired because your kids are busy and your kids are active, that's life. Shouldn't yeah. have had kids. If you can't deal with kids, you shouldn't have had kids. That's life. I've heard all the people say, yeah. And, and, and you know, it's, I sound cold and callous when I say stuff like this. And people, no, people call me sense. cold and callous when I say stuff no, like that. No, that makes, that makes 100%. But, but in my mind, there are a lot of people who don't have kids, who want to have kids, who can't have kids, or who don't have kids for various reasons. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. If you are lucky enough to have kids, appreciate yeah. the miracle and take care of them. And that is, and they're definitely a miracle, and they're, they bring so much joy to your life. I mean, look, I've got two wonderful sons. love them. I mean, it, it's so bad, I'm, I can't, I'm unable to see them, uh, they, although they live in my area, but we can't see each other. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, not, and like the kids that do live away from their parents, and the parents can't see the kids. Look, my birthday's coming up on Tuesday. Yes, I'm it not, is. Usually I, the, usually, I, was usually gonna, the, I wasn't going to mention it, but now that you mention it, well, I'm, I'm putting this in the fact that, you know, my kids usually get together. They'll take me out for a bite to be, eat or we'll go to their house and they'll make me a barbecue or something like that. And, you know, like for the first time, I can't see my mother. I can't see my kids. I can't see my girlfriend. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, my, my youngest son just had his birthday last week. Uh, his wife had, his, had her birthday today. My nephew has his birthday 10 days after. May's a busy month. In, in this family, my sister-in-law has her birthday May first. My nephew has oh. his birthday May 29th. Yeah, it's quite a lot. And yeah, Sheldon's birthday's on Tuesday. I wasn't going to mention it because Sheldon gets a little testy when I mention his age. But uh, Sheldon, well, you don't have to mention my age. You can mention my birthday. But Sheldon is turning 97 on oh, Tuesday. And uh, and God. we we here at the Howie Silberger Show. Uh, I have to see that con- things haven't changed. Congratulate okay. Sheldon on reaching right. this milestone birthday. Yeah, thank you so much. Ninety-seven yeah. years old. Yeah. So, I, so let me ask and, you. A and, and, and as strong as an ox, I have to tell you, at ninety-seven, the man is yeah. as strong as an ox. You can thank hear it in so his much. voice. He's healthy. Thank you so much. He's healthy. Yeah. He's happy. I'm happy. I'm he happy just, to be on the show and be be a good friend of yours. And, 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 you know, and you know, I have to I have, have to mention something else because uh, oh, I, here we go. Yeah, because uh-huh. 97 year old Sheldon, um, uh-huh. he made yeah, an avatar. He made an avatar on Facebook. Oh, and, sh- here we go. And he put this avatar up, and I was looking at it, and I was saying, there's something wrong with this avatar. And I was staring at this avatar for about five minutes, trying to figure out I what was wrong. Gray, I'm not putting gray <laughs> hair on, and I have hair on my head. So don't even go there. <laughs> the hair I on the avatar. Were, I know what you were going to think. Yes, I had hair on my avatar, not bald, not gray. Yes, I have glasses, no facial hair. 
Yes, I have an avatar on Facebook. Okay. You didn't even let me finish my sentence. You didn't have to. Oh, <laughs> uh, Sheldon, Sheldon, Sheldon. I'm waiting for you to put an avatar on Facebook. I'm trying to finish my sentence. So Sheldon puts uh, his avatar up. I have to finish telling the story, Sheldon. Okay. I start telling the story. I have to finish the story. Okay. So Sheldon puts his avatar up, and I'm looking at his avatar trying to figure out what the heck is this. This does not look at all like Sheldon. This avatar has hair. And this avatar <laughs> this avatar has dark hair. Uh, and I, I didn't understand. So I, I didn't ask Sheldon about it, but I figured that he was feeling a little bad about turning 97 this week. So he's trying to make himself feel younger. So so I empathize with Sheldon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I empathize with you, Sheldon. I, I, I empathize with you. Oh yeah, I, I could see I could I could see how much you're empathizing with me. Okay. The, the empathy is in my voice. Oh, it's just oh, it's it's so in your voice. I could just feel it. <laughs> I could just feel it. Oh, good, oh. good. As long as it's coming through, because it's important. Oh, it's, oh, oh, it's oh, oh, that that's coming through for sure. Yes. It's important that you know that I'm empathetic. Yes. By the way, I just wanted to let you know, and yeah. I, I wanted, I want all the listeners to know that the Howie Silberger Show is indeed brought to you by the Howie Silberger. <laughs> That's on, right. On, yes, I, I heard that before. That was really well. That was really well spoken. Really well. But the, the Howie yeah. Silberger Show uh, is brought to you by the Howie Silberger Show. Yes, that yeah. was really. That's that's Thank what you. I like. A person that stands behind the sponsor of his own show. I love that. Uh, you know, you have to support your sponsors. If you don't yes. support your sponsors, they stop sponsoring you. Exactly. You know when we when we put this up to uh, to stream on uh, on Facebook and on uh, on Twitter and all these other places, um, uh, so for some reason for some reason it uh, it put up the title. This is a test. This is only a test. <laughs> I was looking at that and I was wondering what is going on. And I'm looking at this going. I don't know why I did that. But, and I and I thought maybe whatever. that was your avatar. Yeah, yeah. That 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 would actually be the kind of avatar i'd put up for myself <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so i thought you were doing this as having an avatar getting back at me at facebook <laughs> uh, you could join the conversation if you want by the way the number to call one 669 1292 that's one 669 1292 what's now, the name of the show i don't know now sheldon okay. um the other day i found um i found some i found some uh, copies of the howie silberger show you did from 2005. Oh my God! And I'm listening to the Howie Silver Show in 2005. I'm glad that you're listening to your own show. I'm listening to me in 2005. Okay. And you sound I, younger, right? I did not sound any younger than I sound today. May imagine that, eh? My voice hasn't changed much. You know, when I listened to the 2001 episodes of the Howie Silver Show, shows from 2001. Okay. My voice was quite different than it is now. Uh, you see, that's what happened when you rode the banana seat seat on the on the bicycles. <laughs> it must be. And because you hit a few bumps, and then you changed your voice. In 2001, my voice was more like, "Hi, this is the Howie Silberger Show here on the." <laughs> you know, so so it's not like that anymore, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. It's either the, either that or the uh, size underwear, J.C. Penny. Oh, uh, wh whatever, whatever. Something yeah. changed between then and now. Oh, something changed. All right. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's 19 years, so yeah. something changed between then and now, right? Something changed. And yep. So, uh, so here we are. Here we are. Um, I'm listening to the 2005 uh, episode of the Howie Silberger Show. I think it was 2005 or 2004. Did you agree or disagree with you what you what you said back in 2004? So I was doing a rant. Let me let me let me tell you. I was doing this rant, and I'm listening to this rant, and I was thinking that I could take the rant from 2004, I could replay it today, and it would still be relevant. 
Do you have it available to replay today? Uh, I do not have it oh. on any of these computers, no. Okay. But if I, I, would, I would like to listen to the way you sent it back in 2004. You knew me in 2004. Yeah, but I'd like to hear how you sounded on the air. We were working together in 2004. Yes, we were working. Yes, but I, you were. Uh, we were at CJD at the time. Yeah, yes. we were, yeah. Yeah. So I sounded exactly like I sounded at CJD okay. on the show. I remember. Yeah. But yeah. for the other people who don't remember, they should listen to that. We, yeah. we were working together in 2001, too. <laughs> we were. <laughs> We weren't working together. We were working at the same place. Where we weren't. We right. weren't working on the same show. You exactly. were doing one show. I was uh, during the week, and you were on what Sundays or? Well, yeah, what, I was. I was all over. Were, I was all over the schedule. And sometimes you would take my place. Well, the best was my favorite part of the whole thing was when it came to the Christmas scheduling. Nobody wanted to work Christmas except for me. And, and then what they wanted to do is they they uh, they decided they'll play they'll pay you know really top dollar to get the producers to come in and work Christmas. So yes, they would have, it was you, another person. There was, I think three to four people that were working at Christmas. Yeah. And this was going back years and years and years ago. So it was you, myself, the late Merv Williams, yep. Mike and Mike Babbins. I don't know if there was another person no, that in was that. I, that was I think it was, and we kept taking over from one going to the other, going to the other, and going Merv, to the other. And Merv Williams wasn't there the whole time either, so you know he he, he was he was in and out. So okay, so it was yeah. what you you Mike Babbins and myself then? Yeah, I moved in. Okay, yeah. So I I remember it. It was hilarious because one time I would do Shom, then one time Babbins would do CJD, then I would do Mix, yep. then you would do a, then you would do a. Did you ever work at Mix? I forget if you worked. I worked. At Mix. Uh, I worked at every station they ever owned. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you worked at Shom. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know about Shom, but I didn't. I forgot if you worked at Mix. Yeah. Yeah. Because at that time was Mix, not uh, not Virgin ninety six. Yeah, so. I used to be the producer. Yeah. I used to be the producer of Rhythms International. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! With Daniel Feist, okay, yeah, yeah. the late Daniel Feist, and then yeah. then a couple of guys who replaced him. Yeah, yeah, didn't last that much long. Daniel Feist, I remember when I was uh, the old days at Showman. We were at the old house on thirteen fifty five Green Avenue, yeah. and Daniel Feist was doing production. He was in the basement. Mm-hmm. The production studio was in the basement. I don't know if you've ever been in the old house, but I worked in the old house as an intern. Uh, that's when I had my first taste of radio. I worked in an intern at Shum back in the good old days. And you would see the owner that would come in, Jeff Sterling, every once in a while. The old Shum ghost, you would hear the dishes rattling. You would hear the creak up the up the stairs. And the studio was up on the third floor with the window opening up in the back. And there were plants and the board was set up in a beautiful wooden area. It was gorgeous. All right. Too bad they left there. Yeah, well, uh, eventually when they moved to 1310 Green Avenue, when, where I rejoined it, uh, the house burnt down. Right. Now, the house, the house is up, but it's, a store is now occupying the house on 1355. Oh, well. so a little bit of, and the wooden door that had the glass heart for people that are Montrealers uh, that had the 1355 is in Papineau, where, the, where Shom is situated now. All right, there you go. Yep. A little bit of uh, Montreal radio history for you there. Yes, it is. Uh, but uh, Sheldon, yeah, so Sheldon and I were working in the same place for years and years and years together, mm-hmm. and we're still working in the same place, but we're not together. <laughs> so there you go. See, that's the thing with internet radio, and since uh, since True Talk being one of the the first station to do internet radio, yeah, we I were mean, station we had, we... number station number two in the world. 
Yeah, we would. We would. Uh, we already. We already decided to do our our. Well, when we were at Radio Shalom, but then now, how long have we been doing this from our studios at home? Now, how many years has it been? Five, maybe. It's five years. Okay, so five years. Obviously, when we first started doing it, way before the COVID nineteen, and now people are a lot of people from radio stations. They're they're working from home. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been doing this a long time. We've yeah. been socially distancing for five years. I haven't even seen the inside of your studio yet. I know. It's five yeah. years. Five years. Yeah, yeah. And we used to, and we used to, when we used to go after True Talk, we would go for a bite to eat. Yeah, we don't do that anymore either. No. Well, especially now we can't do it, yeah. Because I really don't want to see Shelton. That's what it comes down to. Right. Is that nice? No wonder long-suffering producer. I mean, I, I see him now because we're, we're doing this video thing, but... Um, yes. But before, the, before we started doing this video thing, I didn't even get to see Sheldon. I was just, like, talking to him. He was a voice coming out of the ether. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, that's scary. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you, the Howie yeah. Silberger show is brought to you by who? Uh, Howie Silberger, yeah. Okay. All right, just want to double check. Okay, so I'm going to put Howie Silberger brought to you by Howie Silberger. Okay. Yeah, there you go. 1-877-669-1292 is the number to call if you want to get in yes. on the conversation. one 877 Six six nine one two nine two. I'll pay for the call, so you can just dial the number and I'll pay for the call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Anywhere around the world, North America, anywhere around the world, Europe, Israel, everywhere. Really? Yes. Well, isn't that the isn't that a toll free number? I don't think the toll free number will work from Israel. It'll work oh, in North okay. America, anywhere in North America, for sure. Okay, anywhere anywhere in North America. Okay. Yeah. All right. If you're in Israel, give try to give it a shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you have a North American number, you could give it a shot. Yeah, one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Sheldon, Howie, Sheldon, Howie, Sheldon. Yes. All right. So if we um, if we ask you the question, yes, uh, would you take public transport uh, these days? Uh, if masks were compulsory, yes. Why? Why? Why is it contingent on masks? Well, again, if if no. It, it, didn't isn't that what you just said? If everybody wore masks, then you wouldn't. It wouldn't be a need to social distance from one another. But if you don't have masks, no, no, I didn't. Say I, you, I didn't say that I'm not a doctor. I asked a question. Okay, but uh, but uh, that's what that's how I would base it on. But actually, man, uh, the transportation hub, I believe it's mandatory now to wear a mask. I may be wrong on that locally. I'm not sure. Um, I don't remember if it is or it isn't, but I think it was supposed to be mandatory. If that's the case and I really needed to go somewhere, then yes, I would. Do you think that the government overhyped this and built up a fear in the population that's unwarranted? Definitely. Oh, there, there's, we're so overhyped and we're so overloaded with information. All you need to do, even going on Facebook alone and you see all the different news Sites from all over the world, from the BBC to the CBC to ABC, everywhere. You're so inundated of everything COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen. I guess it's a sure it's it's a sure fact that guess what's going to make the uh, front cover of tw at the at twenty twenty at the end of twenty twenty. <laughs> so you know what? We're so inundated. We're so oversaturated with new with news. Like I said, we don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what to believe in anymore. You don't know what to believe anymore. And there's thousands of people, millions of people around. We don't know what what to do anymore. 
you know, we keep hearing, uh, you know, we're trying to follow government directives because we like to think, and I'm saying we like to think, that they happen to know what they're talking about. But when you keep switching stories all the time from one day or one week to another, how do you know what to believe? That's a question. That's a good question. There's no solid foundation in anything. So do the masks help? Is anybody's guess? I don't know. I mean, the, the healthcare workers, the frontline workers are wearing masks. Even people that deliver food, the people that deliver the grocery orders, they're all wearing masks. They're all wearing gloves. Some people will not even, will refuse to bring it to the door. The building where I live in is, is strictly prohibiting anything to do except for food orders. There's no deliveries that, so in other words, if you order something from Amazon or any other courier service, they will not bring it up to your place, the apartment. Right. They will notify you, like through the apps and whatever. You go downstairs, you pick it up. And again, what do most people do? And this is what I hear from a lot of people. I don't know if you do this or not. I don't know. But as soon as people get groceries, what do they do? They wash down the groceries. I don't do that. They wash down the groceries. In they, other words, everything like, I've what? everything I've ever read from the beginning of this uh, of this pandemic was that um, that the chances of catching this disease through groceries or through that kind of contact is nil. I heard that too, but I've also heard other people. They're too scared. They're too paranoid. Again, well, that's the whole thing I'm talking about. The paranoia yeah. that people have built so, up in their heads. I've never seen like we we have such a built up a paranoid a paranoia around the world, Howie. It's not even funny. I don't think the world has ever been this paranoid before. Even when SARS came up, came around, I don't think it was like and this. And SARS, SARS, by the way, killed more people. Yeah, but was were people as paranoid with SARS as they are nope. with COVID nineteen? No, H one N H one N one killed more people. The flu kills more people. Yeah, the flu always killed more people. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that they're, they're saying their answer is, I'm not saying I believe or not saying for you to believe it either, but their answer is, well, we come up with the flu vaccines, but they're not always right in the flu vaccines. There's a lot of times they get it wrong. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, last year's flu vaccine was wrong, was, was really way off. The year before was right. It's a, it's a guessing game. So what does this tell you? Like I would, I would be, I would talk about, you know, to my other friends or whatever. And let me uh, throw this, throw this um, question to you. What does this teach all of us? Like, does this teach that governments have to be more and the ready? They have to be more assertive. They have to be more aggressive. If you were a government leader, and I and I have absolutely no idea what I would do. How do we make this right? Because you mean there's bound to be another COVID-19 that's going to be within our lives. There's been like that in the before, like you said, H1N1, SARS. There's been diseases in the past. So there are going to be there. There's going to be other diseases in the future. So I, I would have to think that how what do we do for the future? Because we can't keep being in this paranoia state. We have, we as a society have to be able to go out. We have to be able to do our normal things. The economy has suffered. People are, are been out of jobs. Worst cases of unemployment in the United States and Canada since the since the Great Depression. Economies were hit all over the world. I, I've said this before. What do we do? I, I said this before, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to say it again. And this is just a, um, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but this is just my speculation. Uh, I, I, I think that the world freaked out because they actually believed that this was a chemical attack. Oh, yeah. I this heard was that too. biochemical attack. Oh, and this, I is never... why, this is why you had the world freak out. 
Well, you no. know what? There were there were some people of conspiracy theorists, and I completely because if it, if that was the case, you don't think it would kill way way more people than it's killing now? Oh, it's killed a lot of people, Sheldon. But it would kill even more. But uh, it's killed a lot a lot of people. But but chemical and biological war- warfare would kill would kill massive amounts that would make the COVID nineteen look like a nothing. Well, you know, not if they're not if the plan is to kill people slowly. To yeah. infect, to infect the entire world, and this and is basically you, what's happening. And who do you think? Who do you think would be the would be responsible for killing all all the people around the world? Is it one country? Is it a bunch of different countries? Well, it leaked out of China, so we have to assume China was responsible for this one. Because I, I really don't know. I I I, I can't believe that anymore. Because I'm I'm not a conspiracy theorist any more than you are. And I know I've heard this. I've heard like New World Orders. I've heard it from so many different people. Yeah, I don't care I'm, about New World Orders. I'm I'm just and, talking. Yeah. About, I'm talking about practicality. Look, it came yeah. from it came from China. It came from Wuhan, China. This virus. Yep. So if it and came now, from Wuhan, China, and Wuhan, China has chemical factories producing biological warfare, uh, who knows what this was? Because the world freaked out. The world didn't freak out like this over H1N1. It didn't freak out over this over SARS. It didn't freak out over this over any other disease. This is the first disease we've had since the uh, first disease since uh, since well, what was it? Um, uh, you know, since 1910. First mm-hmm. disease in a hundred years that they freaked out like this. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not so sure. I mean, I I really don't believe that. I mean, do I have 100 uh, percent found proof? No. Neither do but I. I. But like you, like you said, as much as you. Make your opinions known, and I, you know, like you and myself, we're not scientists, we're not doctors. Absolutely not, and my opinion uh, is just that. Yeah, it's and my opinion more than is my just, opinion. And my opinion is just that too. I don't believe it is. Can I say conclusively? No. Can I say in my own opinion? Yes. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Uh, do you think that this was a uh, biological warfare? Do you think that uh, that the government has overreacted? What do you think? One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. I'm I'm looking at this, and uh, I think that it's time that um, that we started going back to regular life. Uh, I think that uh, if you take a look at the numbers, if you take a look at the numbers, we, um, you know, the. Uh, the places that have gone back to regular life haven't had such a spike that uh, that it would say, oh, we should be careful. You know, start start integrating people back together again. Start putting things back to uh, some kind of normalcy, and let's start getting back to uh, to real life. Um, you know, we've destroyed people's lives, we've destroyed their livelihoods, we've uh, we've shut down the economies. It's time to it's time to get things back up and running. Now, if you have to do it by social distancing and you have to change the way we do things, fine, do that. But I think we have to start opening stuff, and we have to start really start getting back to uh, some kind of normalcy. But if you take a look at schools, for example, um, how, like you said, for social distancing, and I would be for that, if social distancing is respected, and obviously if you do have symptoms of it, you shouldn't be around people who don't have it. There has to be, there are certain countries that have done radical testing to the point that they now have apps which are actually available now, but the government hasn't authorized all cell phone users to get the apps on iOS and Android. What are you talking about, these, uh, these apps to track people? Um, I'm trying to think of it, it's so not, just the, tr- not you, just the tracking, but I think also that... These are tracking apps. They track people and they, uh, 
and uh, they tell you if you're near somebody who has um, who's had this uh, disease. But I thought now, there was also I thought there was also apps. Correct me if I'm wrong. That could also tell you if you yourself have it. No, no. Okay, because I thought they were test. supposed to be okay. Um, I, I, but but okay. but to me, to me, having an app that the government traces where you're going and tells you don't stand too close to this guy. He had a disease. That seems a little Aurelian to me. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's I'm, a little scary. Yeah, uh, it's, that I'm scares little... me a little bit. Yeah, not that I care that the government knows where I go because I don't go anywhere I shouldn't be, and I I don't care if people know where I am. Google sends me a map every month telling me where I've been, so I mean they're tracking me anyway. Well, you can get you can get rid of that, but um, there's there's ways of getting getting rid of that, but. Uh, if you have nothing to hide anyway, what's the what's the big deal? I mean, it's not, like it, it's like the same thing when the security happened at the airports and everything, and people were so nervous and whatever. And I said, you know what? And I've been in airports before. I said, you know what? I'd rather be safe than sorry. I'd rather be safe knowing that there's nobody, God forbid, on a plane having a bomb. But my problem with the airport security is that um, that it's not applied equally to everybody getting on the plane. If they searched every single person getting on the plane the way they searched some people getting on the plane, well, that's of course they should I, do I that. I would be uh, I would be much more comfortable, but they don't. Yeah, of course they should do that. That they if they do it, and like I know when I when I went to Aruba, I had my uh, CPAP machine, so I had it in a bag. I told the guy right away, and and they they the CPAP machines are listed that it's acceptable devices to to take because I took it aboard the plane, and it's it's mandated. It's in the yeah. it's in the uh, Canada border safety thing that it's it, you know you're allowed you're allowed to take also distilled water they have ways of testing it to make sure it is distilled water and nothing else other than what it says on the bottle so that's fine so i don't i didn't mind doing that and i know and the guy says i'm sorry i have to do it i said like the guy was really nice and i said there's nothing to be sorry about i'd rather be safe than sorry so fine you know do what you need to do i'm fine with it I, as long as i'm going on a plane i get to my destination the plane doesn't blow up that's all that's all i care about right so that's fine. If every everybody should be screened exactly the same, one hundred percent. If certain people get get by and they don't get screened, no. But people aren't screened one hundred percent the same way, and that, and that's really an issue for me. So you're going to screen me, and you're going to skip the next two guys, and you screen the third guy, and uh, and what about the two guys in between? Well, it was like the same thing in customs. Like if you, if you go through U.S. Customs, you know, right away they'll let a few people go, and then all of a sudden they'll say you. Go over to the side. Take this number. Go over to the side. What about the other two people? Look, it reminded me uh, when this uh, really conscientious junior guard at U.S. Customs caught a person that wanted to bomb L.A. International Airport that came from the place right across yeah, the street Ahmed, where we used to be. Ahmed Rassam. Yeah. 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 And if it wasn't for this guard being very astute and being very suspicious, God forbid what would have would have happened. Well, Ahmed Rassam was the millennial bomber. He wanted to go blow yep. up uh, LAX airport. Yep. Yep. I reported on Ahmed Rassam in 1999. Uh, oh, did you? I did. Okay. Uh, I had a list of all the targets he wanted to blow up in Montreal. Wow. And so I approached a newspaper I was writing for at the time, um, the Suburban at the time. And I had this list and I said to uh, Jim Duff, who was the editor, I said, Jim, I have this list of uh, all the targets that Ahmed Rassam wants to blow up. And I'm the only one that I know of, uh, of all the reporters in the city who has this list. And he looked at me and he said to me, where'd you get the list from? And I couldn't tell him, of course, because... Yeah, it was a confidential sources. I, I, have to, I, had, I had very good sources and very confidential sources. And sources that uh, if anyone found out that they were giving me information would not be able to give me information anymore. Okay, yeah. Right. 
So, you know, you're dealing in terror cells. I mean, this is what it is, right? It is what it yeah. is. So, anyway, they refused to run my list. They didn't believe that I had a legitimate list. They refused to run my list. About four <laughs> months later, the National Post ran the list. Oh, my God. All right. And not only did they run the list, but they won a National Newspaper Award for attaining the list. And uh, Stuart, uh, and uh, what was his name? Um, uh, the, the reporter there, whatever, Stuart Bell. He um, he wrote a book based on it. <laughs> and, and I had all that information four months before. But you and know, you never and you, and you never heard you never heard from uh, Jim after that. Well, no, no. Okay. But uh, but you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the uh, publisher has to have the guts to be able to publish what you what you what you find. You have an investigative journalist; you have to have the guts to publish what they uncover. And uh, the suburban didn't have the guts. Okay, so that's life, right? Life goes on. Mm-hmm. But Mahmoud Rassam, he raised his money selling trinkets to tourists in Old Montreal. Oh my God! And uh, he would sell them uh, using their credit cards, and then he would skim their credit cards for an extra ten, fifteen dollars every year transaction. Oof. And that's how he raised wow. his money to uh, to put all those bombs in the trunk of his car. That an un that an untrained, well, maybe barely trained. Um, yeah, it was, I think it was a junior. Yeah, barely junior trained border, border guard. guard caught him. Yeah. Yeah. You imagine that, eh? Yeah, it's amazing. Wow. Really well, makes your hair stand up, and and I wish a, a lot of media would have the guts to really let the reporters do their thing. You know, rely and trust their sources, even though the reporters don't have to give them their sources, and let the reporters do what they're paid to do, to do their job and get get the facts, ask the hard questions, and do their journal. Be a journalist, be a solid journalist, and for the publishers and the owners to back them. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing. Uh, one of the reasons that we were um, we're we were. Um encouraged to leave Radio Shalom. One of the reasons the show stopped airing on a daily basis was that the the um, the administration of the station was afraid of the kind of stories we were covering on this show. Did they get threatened? They didn't that get threatened. Aware of? They didn't okay. get threatened. They were just afraid of the stuff we were covering. Oh boy. Because we were we were exposing we were exposing the community and community organizations for the hypocrites that they are. And uh, they were trying to, you know, we were exposing these uh, these uh, these organizations, and they were trying to 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 finesse these organizations to give them money. Hmm. And it was kind of counterproductive to have me on the air, you know, uh, exposing their secrets and them trying to get them to give them money. Yeah, it's like uh, some other uh, broadcasting outlets that did fighting back or things against certain advertisers, and some of these advertisers wound up paying. To, to be to sponsor the media yeah and they had to eventually take it off the air because they had so much pressure from the advertisers at least you have found a platform whereby now you're in the comfort and security of your own home and right. and can be able to do whatever you want to tackle without being censored hey look i um i uncovered uh, i uncovered a conspiracy to destroy the jewish education system in montreal and we uh we 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 went after the the organizations that were responsible for trying to push this uh, this this crazy radical philosophy of reforming these uh, these Jewish organizations, these Jewish schools that would not have been 
that, that would not have reflected Judaism at the end of that. Uh, and we, we went we went after them, and uh, we were very successful in getting everything canceled. I mean, they, they, they backed down on everything because we exposed them for the frauds that they were. Uh, right after that, the president of the Jewish Federation came to be on the radio with one of the other hosts. But uh, he was only available during... He wanted to come onto the radio to, uh, to talk about the community, but he was only available to come during my time slot, the time slot where my show was on. Mm-hmm. And the president of Federation refused to sit in the studio with me. So instead of the station saying, hey, listen, that's the host that's on at that time. You want to come at another time, we'll get another host to, uh, to, to, to take the show. But that's the host who's on at that time. So you want to talk. He's the guy to talk to. Plus, mm-hmm. I did that kind of show, which would have made sense to have him on my show. Mm-hmm. Instead of having the backbone to say that to the Federation president, what the station did was they, um, they told me at the beginning of the show that they brought another host in. And then when the Federation president comes in, I was required to leave the show and let somebody else come in and interview this guy. And then once he left, I was able to retake my show. Oh, my God. I never heard of such a thing in my life. I would be able to come in and start the show. And then when this Federation guy came in, I'd have to leave the studio. So he could come in and do his interview with somebody else. And then when that interview was finished, I'd be able to come back in and continue my show. Uh, would you were you allowed to still even be in the building, or they wouldn't even allow you to be in the building either? No, they allowed to be in the building, but I couldn't be in the same room with the guy. Oh my god! So I said um, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, Sheldon, you know me; uh, I wouldn't do something like that. Oh, uh, I, yeah, I think I think I know you quite well. So I said no. What we're going to do is my show will start at six p.m. I said, and he was coming in at six thirty or seven o'clock. I think six thirty. Said, Howie, I'm so surprised that you didn't have the guts to say no. Oh, Howie. I said, what we're going to do, I said, is uh, you're going to have the, the host that you called in. He'll come in at 6 o'clock, and he'll take the show at 6 o'clock. He'll host the show till 7 o'clock. So he'll interview the guy and whatever else. You can do that in that hour. I'm going to come on at 7 o'clock, and I'm going to stay on to 9 o'clock, and I'm going to refute every single word that the president of the Federation says. <laughs> so I'll be sitting in another room I'll be taking my notes and I'll be doing my research and when I come on at 7 I'll spend two hours refuting every single word and holding the guy accountable for every syllable that he mentions on the air and no, uh, lo and behold that's exactly what you did no no they cancelled my show oh they cancelled it at that time okay they cancelled the show the weekday show wow I was off the air for four months after that until they There's called a- until they called and begged me to come back because uh, because uh, their ratings dropped to zero after I left. And they begged me to come back, and I came back, but I, I refused to come back during the week, so I only came back on a Sunday show. Oh, that's how, that's how it wound up being. Yeah, because it was going, what, five days, and then it slowly started going four days, three days, two days, and finally the Sunday night. Yep. Okay. But, yeah, Sunday, was- but I came back for Sundays only after... A four month break. I took four months off from there, and they Boy. begged. They called and begged me to come back because I was the star guy on the. Sh- I was the star guy on the station. I was the main guy. They should have called you back. They should have called you back uh, now. They should have just left me in the damn room with the guy, and I would have never left. <laughs> oh God! But you know that's life, right? Yeah. And uh, I- you've worked in radio stations. You know how this works. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the talent. 
No, they only care about one thing, ratings. Well, actually two things, ratings and the bottom line, which are actually tucked together. The, so. uh, the general manager at the station told me once, he says, listen, I'm doing you a favor by putting you on the air. Mm. I said, you're doing me a favor. You're doing me a favor? I'm putting 40 hours of my life into this and not getting paid for it? And you're doing me a favor? Yeah. Amazing how people think that way, eh? It's Seriously. incredible. Yeah. Seriously. It's really, it's really incredible how people forget the grassroots, the people that are really, they scratch and claw and they get the stories, they get the facts, they ask the hard questions, they do the research and they forget, and people forget that it's, it's all that you, f you know, people think that right away you just put on your mic and you just say stuff from the top of your head without doing any kind of research, without doing any kind of thorough investigation when you're doing a report on something like this. You know, it sounds like we're having a conversation now and it's just off the cuff for conversation and maybe on your end it is. <laughs> Uh, but on, on my end, this was uh, this was three hours of preparation today. You can't get on to a radio and do a two-hour show or a two-and-a-half-hour show and not prepare for it. Well, sure. It's impossible. It's like anything. Yeah, it's like anything else. Yep. It's impossible. And although it sounds natural and we're just having a conversation, uh, we have to we have to have information to talk about or, or it's just it's just rambling, right? Sure. Information to talk about and also some facts some figures and what's going on around us exactly. because, you know, we, we, we broadcast all over the world. And we also uh, we also like to uh, talk about local stuff as well. And the thing is that it doesn't make a difference where you're doing the reporting. The facts are the facts. And, you know, journalism, solid, strong, uh, ethical journalism. That's what the key factor is if you want to get into this type of business. Yeah, you got to do the best you can. Yeah. With, and with I the tools and that I've said this, you. And I've said this before, Howie, and, and I think you agree with me, that media has changed a lot because it's now, besides being corporate controlled, and now it's more of what the, the person in, in the ivory tower wants versus what's actually the, you know, what's actually the truth, get to the truth, and you're not afraid you know, you have all the resources of the media and you're not afraid to use these resources and really ask the hard questions. And this is what a lot of media, I'm not saying all media, but this is what a lot of media is seriously lacking. And I tell you, if we ever get back to covering stories on the show, which I'm sure we will eventually get back to, uh, we will. Uh, I'm not afraid to ask the hard questions. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Well, people need the truth, and there's so much crap out there now, and this is the same thing with the COVID-19 or anything else. We get so saturated by news, we don't know what's fact from fiction. We don't know what's true and false. We don't know what to think. Well, it depends on who you're watching. If you, um, if you watch uh, Canadian, if you watch Canadian um, uh, television, it's a lot different than if you watch American television. Mm -hmm. If you watch American television, um, you know, depends what network you watch. You yep. watch one network, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have one really weird uh, one really weird take. If you watch another network, you have another really weird take. So it all depends on what you're watching. You see, that's why I always believe that the media has a responsibility in getting its three aspects, its three points of view. It's one side, the other side, and the truth. And the media has to get to the truth, to the bottom, and get the facts. And you know what? Once we would get the facts, maybe all of us wouldn't be so paranoid. Well, I'm telling you, media is dead. 
media doesn't exist anymore. Media like we knew it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, no. And that's the problem because years ago, media was something. Uh, the radio station in Montreal that you and I worked with, worked at, was a go- like uh, it was like God. There was two major radio forces on the English side of radio broadcasting media. And these were unprecedented, down hard, true, strong journalism, journalistic stations. Yeah, not anymore. And not anymore. Now it's all sensationalism, and it's now controlled by sensationalist media. Well, it's not even sensationalism. It's all corporate. So when it becomes corporate, yeah. then it becomes corporate interest over uh, over over listener interest or uh, viewer yeah. interest. Exactly. So, so as long as it makes corporate happy and the bottom line makes corporations happy, yeah, they'll cover it the way they have to cover it. So if they have to, if they have to, excuse the expression, beat the crap out of uh, COVID nineteen in order to get eyeballs to watch their stations or read their newspapers or or watch or listen to their podcast, that's what they're going to do. They're going to beat the crap out of COVID nineteen. All you and, if that, do and if that causes, and if that causes uh, the population to get paranoid, and if that causes the population to go crazy, and if that causes, uh, if that causes people to commit suicide, as has happened, we're, they're not reporting it, but that's what's happened right. uh, over this paranoia. If that's what causes it, then the hell with the people, because ratings are more important than people. Yeah, and, and that's it's... the sad point. That's the sad part of what media has become. And the thing is, it's two words. It's called tuning in. It's uh, it's the more people that tune in, that's what they want. Years they ago, want, years ago, yeah. I was um, years ago I was working for a newspaper, and uh, another it wasn't suburban, another newspaper, and um, it was at the time where uh, Dr. Laura Schlesinger had her uh, had her national show. Oh boy, Sheldon remembers Dr. Laura's national show. Oh boy, oh, so um, so I was working for this newspaper, and um, Dr. Laura oh, had come boy. up with a statement on her show. Where she said that uh, homosexuality was a biological error. And she said, "Oh, I remember that." She said, um, "She said, look, people are born and uh, they're born to 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 be attracted to the opposite sex, and by being a homosexual, you're biolo- you, you know, there's something wrong with the biology. Some wiring is wrong, and because the wiring is wrong, it's a biological error. It's uh, you know, you don't have a choice in the matter." It's not you. It's your biology, and you know there was an error in the biology. This is what mm-hmm. this was her point. Okay. So the gay lobbies went nuts, and they started calling for boycotting Dr. Laura. They can They they boycotted CBS, who was about to launch a Dr. Laura TV show. Oh, I and remember they, that. They canceled her TV show, and Dr. Laura was under the gun for these comments. Okay, you're homophobic, and she kept saying, "I'm not afraid of gay people. I'm just stating a biological fact that if 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 100 percent or 90 percent of the people have have this kind of biology and 10% of the people have that kind of biology, then there's something wrong with the 10%, not the 90%, right? It's a biological <laughs> fact. This is what she was saying. Oh, my God. Now, whether I agree with her or disagree with her was totally relevant at the time. Uh, I wrote a column. I had a column in the, in the newspaper. I wrote the column saying, um, whether you agree with Dr. Laura or disagree with Dr. Laura, she has the right to say what she said, right? Calling for a boycott of her, um, you know, harassing her in the street. They were throwing paint on her. They were doing all sorts of stuff. Uh, you know, harassing her, physically attacking her, does not take away her right to to express herself. She has a talk show; it's an opinion show. Mm-hmm. She's she she's hired to express her opinion, mm-hmm. and so if she expresses her opinion. You disagree with her opinion. You have two options. Option number one is you could you could call her as angry phone call. She has open lines, like I have open lines here. You don't agree with something I say, you could call and yell at me, and you know we'll put you on the air. I have no problem with that. Uh, she said the same thing. You don't agree with me? Call up. We could talk about it. 
right? So you have an op- you have two options. Number one, you call her and you argue with her, and if you don't like what she has to say, and you uh, your second option is you turn it off. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you turn it off, what happens is that's one less listener. If a billion people turn her off, then she has no listeners, and then suddenly uh, she's canceled, right? Mm-hmm. So calling for a boycott is not going to solve the problem. Boycott her uh, her advertisers. No, no, why would you do that? Just turn off the radio. Don't listen to what she has to say. Because people don't understand how media works. Media works based mm-hmm. on ratings. So mm-hmm. if you have mm-hmm. people listening to you, then, of course, you stay on the air. If you have nobody listening to you, they take you off the air very quickly. Oh, do they ever. So yep. so there you go, right? So, I mean, you know, it's just stupid. I mean, I, I, I find it stupid because they always go after the advertisers. Well, that's it because uh, that's the ones that pocket the, wa- the uh, wallets of the network who pays the talent to go on the air and do their show. So that's exactly, that's exactly, they go after the queen bee and that's exactly what they do. It's much more effective to not listen to the show. Well, that's it. If you don't listen to the show, it would be canceled anyway because the sponsors, uh, for people who don't know how ratings work, you and I do, is that the more people that listen, the more that the, uh, the station or the media outlet can charge for advertising. So the more people you have, the more expensive it is to advertise because of your reach. If you have less people and your reach is not as strong, you're not going to charge as much in advertisers because you're not reaching a lot of people. And if you have nobody to listen to, well, you know, if the salespeople go up and they say, well, buy advertising, and they say, who's listening? Nobody. Well, they're not going <laughs> to buy advertising. There <laughs> you, you know? go. <laughs> so, so that's pretty much in a nutshell of readership and and ratings and everything else but that's what people were doing they were going after the queen bee they were going after the advertisers yeah but uh, yes the most the most the powerful thing as a listener because even though you and i are in the media you and i are also listeners so let's say we listen to something we do not like it well we could turn it off and that's one or two less listeners that's right and if everybody does the same thing that's the same thing that's going to wind up happening uh for me i um i i I, I like to listen to the Howie Silberger show. Yeah. So so I listen to the show. And, and it's brought to you by, indeed, Howie Silberger. And it is brought to you by Howie Silberger, and uh, he is a great sponsor for the show. Great sponsor. Great guy. He uh, pays, I, I know him personally. Yeah. He, pay, he pays all the bills, and uh, that's, yes. that's, that's uh, really nice of him. one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Yes. And so, you know, other advertisers are always welcome on the show, and, um, you know, they can help pay for the bills. I mean, that that'd be that'd be welcome. Okay. And, you know, we have tons and tons and tons of listeners. So, I mean, you know, I'm not worried. We about got it. so many listeners. Plus, you get so much stuff on social media and Twitter. My God, it's just beaming. Twitter, Twitter it's is busting. Twitter's blown up lately. I'm telling you. Twitter and Facebook. And, and, and look at Howie's new avatar. Incredible <laughs> avatar. I have not made an avatar. I refuse. <laughs> Sheldon made an avatar. <laughs> I had to see what your reaction was going to be. Sheldon put hair on his avatar. You're even not though he, that's that is that is my story. Even though Sheldon is bald, not bald, and Sheldon's uh, avatar looks young. Even though Sheldon turns ninety-seven on Tuesday. Oh no, I'm young. I'm young, my friend. It's twenty. The avatar is twenty-six years old in jeans and a short sleeve shirt. <laughs> and thick eyebrows and glasses. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. me. Sheldon is uh, dreaming. Dreaming that that's it looks like me. him. Yeah. Yeah, we'll post a picture of Sheldon up on the Howie Silberger page on Facebook. Oh, there is no. one up there. There's a video of Sheldon up there. You look at his avatar and then look at the picture and then you tell me. one 877 one 2 
<laughs> and it's brought to you by the call. Howie Silberger Show, and here, you're listening to Howie Silberger right now. one 669 1292 It's a toll-free number, by the way, so you don't have to pay for the call. Okay. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Okay. Technology is, today is amazing. Technology is good only when it works. Yeah, it's so and far. If you, and, if, and if you could hear somebody on the telephone line. So too. far, we've been okay, Sheldon. We, we've been okay because we haven't had any calls. Well, even if you have a call today, uh, it, it, you know, we don't get calls every show, but even if we get a call today, oh, we'll true. be okay, Sheldon. We'll be okay. We'll okay. be okay. All right. Life as we know it will continue. That's it. That's that's our story, and we're sticking to it. Yes. Uh, so um, so Sheldon's going to take a bus this week, and he's going to give us a report on how the bus ride went. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'll take a bus this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, if I have to go somewhere, I'll take a bus. If I don't have to go anywhere, I don't have any appointments. But if I need to go somewhere, then yeah, one thing I'll take. Uh, then I'll take the bus. Okay, but you're not going to lick the poles or anything. It, no, but you know what? This is another thing too. The, uh, and you see stories, and then you wonder: Is this manufactured or what? There was a, a story I think about a month ago. I'm sure you must have seen it, where a woman in the states. She spat. It was a local supermarket. It wasn't a big chain supermarket. She was spitting on some food, and the supermarket took the food, and they threw it all out. They didn't bother washing it. They threw out over thirty thousand dollars worth of groceries. Hmm. That's smart. Uh, uh, like thirty. And then you would see. Did they arrest the woman? I'm sure they arrested the woman. I don't know what they. uh, I'm sure they arrested the woman. I mean, they should have arrested her. Yeah, I'm sure they arrested the woman, and I'm sure they probably, the woman would have to pay back, or she was fine, too, I'm sure. Good. But but could you imagine, like, and then you would see other people, like, spitting, or other people, like, uh, there was things in the States, too. Then you're wondering, is this true? Is this made up? Like, you don't know what to believe anymore. Well, there was a Facebook group, um, uh, a Facebook and Instagram group, where these people were... Um we're challenging each other to go and lick public uh, public things and to go spit yeah. and, spit on uh, on uh, in, in grocery stores. I think it was on TikTok, as a matter or of fact. On TikTok, it was one, on one yeah. of these things. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, the guys, the that's, guy who ran good. this group, went out and he started licking uh, public toilets. Oh God, that's just. And he ended up in the hospital on a ventilator. Well, you know, let's put it this way: we we do know that COVID nineteen is real. Yeah. That's one thing we could both say. And if you're going to do something as stupid like that, well, that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Look, there, there was a thing in the States when this thing first, when COVID-19 first came up and they had the beaches in Florida that were open. It was before the beaches were closed and before a lot of people were like really angry and saying, why are you having the beaches open and people are having parties and high school parties and stuff like that. So meanwhile, there was a 20 some odd year old kid was saying, oh, I'll, I won't catch it. My immune system is strong. I'm 20 years old. I'm, I've been around people. We've been having parties, whatever. About a month later, he was in the hospital, and he was really sick with the COVID-19. I don't know what happened if he survived, but it, it is for he, he real. Did, he did survive, and he, apologi- okay. he apologized for his statement. Okay, so you remember that story. So yeah. the thing is, we do know it's real, but in terms well, I never, of... I never thought it wasn't real. Yeah, but I, 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 I just think that it was overhyped and that the government well, just overreacted. That's, that's well, every, well, you know what? That's the thing what media does. They overhype everything and especially like, let's put it this way. When do you ever see good news? That's that's overhyped. Never. Well, I but, told, you'll, I but you'll you, see. I've told you in the past what happened when we tried doing good news on this show. 
we uh, we decided one show that we were going to do. I, you were there for that show, weren't you? Where we yep. did the good news yeah, show. Yeah. I remember that. Sheldon said to me, Howie, you're always so negative. You're always doing these bad news stories. You're always covering this, this, this sad stuff. Why don't we do something that's good, that's good news? And I said, Sheldon, that's a great idea. We'll do one show where we only do good news. So I asked Mark yeah. David uh, to, to research some good news. And I found some good news stories. And me and Mark sat down and uh, we did good news for an entire hour. Remember, Sheldon? Yep, I remember this. Yep, yep. And uh, we invited people to call in with their good news. If you have a Mazel Tov, if you have, uh, if you have, um, you know, some kind of announcement, if you had something that you wanted uh, people to know about, give us a call, and we would be more than happy to put on the air and we talk about your good news. Mm-hmm. Remember this, Sheldon? And I remember we didn't get a single solitary phone. Not call. one phone call. Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember the next show when I came on and there was a terror attack in Israel? The next show. And I started talking about the terror attack in Israel and, uh, and the peace process that had just fallen apart. And the lines lit up and the, we, we didn't stop getting calls that entire show. Well, you know what it is? There, you, you'll, you'll always hear breaking news that's bad news. You'll never hear breaking news that's good news or very rarely. So the thing is, because when you that tried was to do a news, show, when you tried to yeah. do a show that was good news, yeah. you didn't get one phone call. We got 15 calls the next show. But you know what was but you know what's nice about good news is the fact that we could bug each other up and joke around and everything like that and people people do honestly feel that this this show needs a sponsor and we found this sponsor Howie Soberger. So yeah. you know what? Howie Soberger's been sponsoring the show for the last 19 years. Sheldon. Yes, well that, that's what I'm saying. So that's good news. Because if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have the high quality show that you come to demand and ask for from all of the people that contribute to the show and for you to ask the great questions that you do it's very true and it's, 19 and it's because of your sponsors and support and so our longtime you. sponsor howie soberger 19 years yes. sponsoring the show incredible yeah incredible that we have a sponsor for that long sheldon i'm telling you and it, and it looks like the hits just keep on coming <laughs> and we're also sponsored by sheldon's avatar <laughs> <laughs> And we're also out of time. Oh, we are. You're right. <laughs> All right. Great thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, Sheldon, for being here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care of yourself, buddy, and have a great evening and a great week. You too. And I just want to thank everybody else, everybody watching. Thank you for watching. And uh, we'll be back. Um, I will be back on Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday we'll do, I think I'll do a... Um, Good news show? Well, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to do a Howie Silberger show on Tuesday, and then at midnight we'll do a political hitman in Israel. Oh, okay, cool. So that's what I'm thinking. So uh, keep an eye on the Howie Silberger show page uh, where I'll be announcing if we'll be on on Tuesday or not. Sounds so good. That'll happen on the Howie Silberger show page. So from me oh. and Sheldon and you and me and me and you and him and him and Sheldon's avatar, we wish you... Oh, shut up. <laughs> Sheldon's avatar that has hair. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna look at an avatar for you, buddy. I'm gonna I'm gonna look up an avatar. I'm gonna send one to you. I want to I want to wish <laughs> I want to wish Sheldon a very happy birthday. His birthday's on Tuesday, so thank you. Let's thank wish you. Sheldon a very happy 96th birthday. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, happy 61st birthday. Yes, yes. Uh, Sheldon 61st is birthday. Sheldon yep. is 61 years. Could you believe Sheldon is 61 years old? <sighs> I can't believe I'm 61. When I met Sheldon, he was younger than I am right now. Oh, okay. I'd like to see how that's possible, but okay. What? When I met you, yes, you were younger than I am right now. Yes, you were younger than I am right now. I was younger than and I am I, right and now I too. Was, and I was younger than I was younger than I was then. Yeah, yes, but, but you were younger than I am now. 
I always say goodnight, everybody. And I was younger than I am now. Okay, everybody, take care. Have a great week. And, hey, look. Uh, <laughs> take care, everybody. Have and a now, good evening. Sheldon was a young man then, and now he's an old uh, man. And I wonder why I'm old. I wonder why I have gray hair. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink, who I'm on the other side with. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a great one. We'll see you on Tuesday.